but just be conscious because um, I used to have a rule of thumb when I was getting on young horses for starting is if, if I haven't seen that horse put its ears forward, bring its ears back, put one ear forward and the other ear forward and then vice versa, when I'm walking around and trotting around the yards and stuff like that, I'm not taking it out the gate. Hello, welcome to Mark Langley's Horsemanship Podcast, a podcast helping people to understand their horses better to provide solutions in a calm, connected way. I'm Jenny Barnes. And I'm Mark Langley. This week, our questions to Mark are on horses that hold their ears back, floating and producing high-level reining horse using his techniques. First, from Cassie. Mark, what would cause a horse to constantly have its ears back when riding? I've had an instructor to say to me it's probably because he was worked pretty hard with his previous owner and he'll come good. And another say, probably just focusing on what I'm asking him and not necessarily being cranky. Comment that the saddles have been fitted, he's had his back checked and teeth done. But she wanted to know if you thought their opinions were correct and what your thoughts are. This is a 10-year-old quarter horse. Okay. Uh, yeah, um, so ruling out anything else uh, soreness-wise, then most definitely. I think, I think both, both, uh, the, the, the both advice, advices were, were, were right. Um, he's um, probably been trained hard. Ears back, focused on person, and the second one was you know focused on person. So, um, a, an attentive horse, a soft attentive horse, doesn't have its ears back like that though. Um, I, I, I get, I'm guessing um, if I was to have a mental picture, the ears are back and they're not very mobile. They're back in a certain position. Um, so, and a ten year old. Quarter horse could have been trained in a in a in a in an arena situation that every time it thought, it got knocked back and say don't think don't think so they get to a stage that they actually just are listening to every bit of pressure so they don't make a mistake which means they become hyper focused. Uh, so a horse that's sort of attentive doesn't has has more of a loose ears soft eyes and their ears float a bit more. Um, so because your horse is hyper focused, you probably find that if you just drop the reins and sit on it it'll probably won't go anywhere. It'll stop because eventually um, it's going to go, oh, no, no pressure. What am I going to do? I'm lost. Um, so I, the horses don't just come out of that state. Uh, so the thing I'd like to say is it's, um, yes, they, the horse is attentive, but they don't just magically always come out of it. Sometimes they do. So I get a lot of people at my clinics that bring um, ex-reining horses, stuff like that, and they've been so hyper-focused in, in a, an arena situation they've got no room to cope with the environment, environmental changes and the things that they need, like processing the ground, processing the air, processing things, kangaroos, all that sort of stuff. You know, lots of horses out in paddocks, trucks, uh, out in big spatial areas. So because they're so hyper-focused in the arena, when they go out, they just get hyper-focused in the other direction. They just blow up and can't cope with anything. So you have to be super careful for everyone that's got a horse, and even yourself. I don't know what 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 you've put your horse through yet. Uh, what what you've what you've you know if you've taken it out, done a lot of big things with it, but just be conscious because um, I used to have a rule of thumb when I was getting on young horses for starting, 
is if if I haven't seen that horse put its ears forward, bring its ears back, put one ear forward and the other ear forward, and then vice versa, when I'm walking around and trotting around the yards and stuff like that, I'm not taking it out the gate. That was a rule of thumb. Um, now, because I had plenty of horses that were very very light in hand and they were young, and I'm like, geez, you're so light. How come you're so light? And I thought that was really good and really cool. And I'm like, there you are. They listen to everything. But then all of a sudden they get out the gate. Their ears go forward. I couldn't feel anything because they hadn't learned to process me and process their environment all in, at the same time. And that's the key is a horse has to be aware of us but also have room in there to process their environment and be comfortable with us behind behind them, operating them. So an attentive horse processes the environment processes us and it can listen to us but also soak up the environment so it's primary and secondary focus are constantly working between the two all the time so that's what you want in your horse you don't want them ears back fully attentive because uh, that's kind of like a hyper focus so to to get your horse out of that state if you've been brought up in a way of riding that you just ride the horse like a motor transport legs on when it doesn't move rein to steer it the horse may always stay in that state because that's how it's been ridden Okay, so this is where a horse like that, I tend to, most of the horses, even the shutdown race horses that are shut down in barriers won't gallop anymore, any amount of pressure won't make them go, is I tend to go back to a one rein start as I just sit on the horse quietly and I pick up a rein and I hold it and hold it. If it's a quarter horse that's been Western trained, it might bend its head around for half an hour. So I tend to go to a side pull or something like that so I'm not pulling on its mouth. And I'll just hold and rock the rein, maybe cluck a little if it's really stuck until it just gently moves its feet. And then I'll do that again and again until the horse goes, oh, standing's not available, what can I do? And then it might start to move. And as soon as it starts to move, you just drop the reins, see where it wants to go and do that again and again and again until your horse goes, I'm going to have to crawl out of the shell and go forward. They're not going to just squeeze me to go forward and, and keep on behind me with their legs. I'm going to have to crawl out of this hole and search. And, and and after a week, might be a day, might be two days, might be a week, might be a month, you'll find that horse is starting to go, flicking its ears. Oh, they're up there. They're picking up a rein to let go of that thought and go over here. And then when they let it off, I'm allowed to think because to crawl out of the hole of that one rein start, they've actually got to start to do something for themselves and think. So when you're sitting on horses, you sit them on them in the arena where it's safe first, ultra quiet, no don't don't sit there kicking and pulling and, and distracting them to bring their thoughts back. Just give them responsibility and let them search. And after a while, you'll find they'll start to search. One ear will flick forward, one will flick back. But you've got to remember if it's been hard trained, like one of the, one of, one of your um, the advice was, it's been hard, you know trained quite hard. They're frightened of thinking. They're frightened of thinking. They 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 go, I can't make a mistake, so I've just got to focus on everything because they're the ones that have been jammed every time they made a mistake. So they're so paranoid to make a mistake. They stop thinking and just listen to everything that we're trying to show them. So you have to let them make little mistakes and come out of their shell and then gently, you know, show them what's not available and what is available and, and show boundaries to them and get them back into that space where they can ride in between your reins and legs. But it might take a bit of while building their confidence because they're so frightened sometimes of making that mistake that, that every time you twitch, they'll just start to crawl and then you'll go and brush a fly away. Then they go, oh, no, they're about to do something. So that's why you, you're given that nice silence in between so they can gently build their confidence. And then when you do move on them, just move to just rub them on the shoulder and say, oh, that was a good job. You know, so when you move, it's not to go, oh, I'm going to get you for it. Um, and they'll come out of their shell. But please, for anyone else that's got a horse like this, 
please get them processing and thinking in the safe environment for a while before you just venture out on a trail ride with your mates because you think you bought some quiet arena horse, they're going to be great. Because I've seen those horses just get complete overloads as soon as they get out of their environment and they're so worried about everything else, they cannot hyper-focus on us because they need some for themselves. So super important that that you make sure a horse is actively thinking about you and the environment before you, you get out into the into the into the mosh pit some great advice there floating this question comes from sue and she was at a recent clinic so you might remember her horse who was particularly braced and frozen she's been working with some of your exercises and she wanted to know um how she can improve one particular aspect of what's happening when she's loading him he's good to load he stands in the float he moves softly within the bay softly for him anyway and he will unload so the loading and being in the float isn't so much of the issue. The problem starts more when it's actually transported. So then when the movement begins, he gets anxious. She's been jumping around in the float and getting him better with sounds and movement while the float's stationary. And she is very happy to do lots of little drives and things like that to sort of build up his confidence. But she's wondering, to sort of just to help this issue of obviously the increased anxiety once there's movement, have you got any tips for her? Yeah, I've got two tips. One one tip you have to be careful of. Uh, I do it myself. Um, I think it's a necessity for some horses like this one you're, you're talking about. Another tip is, um, so first, the first tip I'll talk about is self-sufficiency and getting them to unpack their own bags without us being there. So uh, a lot of times in training, uh, also, so all the important things which I want you to keep working on is that soft leading, the, the horse, not just to go forwards and backwards and move over in the hind and front and stuff like that to the leading, but they're very good and very soft at it. So like I was talking about in a recent um, question on, on another podcast about collection and, and placing the feet softly, picking up and placing softly in all your body control is so important and the horse is nice and loose. That's the sort of softness and trust in themselves like trusting you asking them but eventually they've got to trust that there's boundaries around them and they can trust moving softly like that so always always everybody look at how your horse is moving and see if it can move a bit more softer and and just flow to you and place its feet soft and and just get it better and better all the time because that really helps them in the float adjust when the movement starts to happen but there's also some horses that you can get them really, really soft. But as soon as you walk away, they start to get that separation anxiety because without you, they're a bit helpless. So those horses, um, there's a lot of things that you really got to think about working on, which is can you stand over there on a 10-meter rope away from me and can you take a forward step? Can you go back a step? You know, can can you walk out ahead of me and not me, need me? So so you're teaching a horse to unpack its baggage further and further away from you. So that's why sometimes I do a lot of long line work where I do get them to stand up, stand away from me a bit, step up a step, and and do things where they're sort of operating from a distance. And then other things you can do is operating from a distance where you're a fair distance behind them. Because when you walk outside the float, shut the bridge and bar, you're going to be right back behind that horse to start with. So you know, can you can you have them on a long rope out in front? teach them to walk away over a rail away from you up to the rail and you can handle them from behind walk away a fair bit and they're okay with that if your horse is a sort of horse that paws the ground every time you sort of tie it somewhere and walk off somewhere else then 
that emotion of being left in there on its own is going to override some of the education you did with it. So I really want you to think about that emotion in your horse. And if it support, if it pours the ground when you walk away, then that's going to override the floating experience. So the next thing I want you to think about is um, the um, being able to move in a moving object, which is the float. Okay, so you've done a good job. You know, you've you've tried to rattle the float while the horse is in there. And so what I want you to do is when you're loading your horse, rattle the float, like bounce on the ramp as the horse is stepping up in there, have the ramp bouncing, have the float bouncing as it's loading. So it's actively moving and loading whilst the ramp is bouncing, not just have it in there, bounce a bit, stop, bounce a bit, stop. Have have the horse moving in and out while you're bouncing it as best you can. Okay, the, the scenario I give people is if you had an, a vibrating platform that you're going to load your horse on, would you load it and then teach it, then then vibrate it, or would you have it vibrating while you teach your horse to load? Uh, and then the other one, which is the dangerous one, so make sure you set it up that you've got someone you know in a safe area and your float door hitched open um, in a spot where you can step out of the float if you need to because uh, I don't want everyone to get in the float, take my advice, and then get squashed because their horse had a panic. So have your float door hitched open. Um, get someone to drive your car slowly and get inside and just stand on the other bay, but have your hand on the, on the underneath their chin. And as they're travelling, get them to just gently rock backwards and forwards within the, within the bay, back to the breaching bar, back to the chest bar, and just keep doing that until they sort of soften, leave them for a little bit, let them travel, do it again, leave them, and then as the person drives slow, you might have a little radio or something or whatever, might have them on the phone with the earplugs on. Um, just get them to stop and you step out, get them to drive a bit. You can step back in, get them to lead. And it's a really good exercise just to teach that horse to softly move inside the float and then increase the time that you're outside the float while they're traveling and see how they travel, okay? Might just be that extra bit. And then maybe you might want to find a horse that they like for their first few travels so they can travel with a horse and a bit of company but slowly you've got to wean that off them as well so it's just an educational experience and you're trying to set up all the things that are really trying to help that horse get better just a disclaimer that mark's opinions and thoughts given reflect only his views and may not be appropriate for you um, Anne's got a step up float and she'd like to take teach her horse to turn around safely for both of them so that she can unload her. What's happening is she's losing her footing when she backs out. How does she start to get her horse to be able to turn around? Yeah, so step up floats, if you, if you look at a lot of step up floats, um, a lot of times people step their horse in and then turn them around and unload them walking out. And I know Anne's seen me do enough loading lessons that I've said that a horse has to be able to back out of a float just in case your gooseneck breaks down or something. A lot of step-up floats a gooseneck. I know Anne's is a, a toe behind one, but sometimes your float might have a breakdown. Someone else needs to pick up your horse and they've got to go in a straight load float. So I think every horse should know how to back out of a float. But in a step-up situation, um, uh it's quite confronting for a horse to back down an object and, 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 um, while it, while, it, uh, in another subject and it was the subject was collection was, you know, the confidence of foot placement in movements is so crucial. And this is where good body control comes in. So I'm going to say, 
I'm going to give you two options, Anne, on this one. One is to teach your horse to, to, to walk out forward until she's a bit more confident um, and just have a soft so she's not jumping out over the top of you. But also, uh, over time, I want you to teach her to be able to step down that ramp. So she's a pacer, uh, well, was trained to be a pacer. And um, so so her backup confidence and uh, is not very good. So she spreads her hind feet out a lot. She takes these big, long steps out the back, which, which make her uh, an awkward sort of horse to go, you can confidently step down that ramp. So, so a lot of exercises you're going to be doing is, is, is get her go back a few steps, forward a few steps, back, back, a, back a bit, come forward, and just get her so loose at her hind feet that she just takes little soft steps, not big reachy steps. So long backups where she's got to throw those hind feet out a mile are not going to really help her because they, they just throw them out. And, and, and the end of the foot's not like an elephant's trunk. It's not sniffing the ground before it touches. They're just dropping to the ground and, and that's what we don't want. So that's why we start to work on little backwards and forwards. So the horse is just kind of just testing the ground all the time. And just those nice twists where you get a hind foot to step over a little bit. And on the other side, you get the hind to step over, back up, step over a little bit in the hind quarter yields. And just even the other thing, which is really good for those horses, is is you put a pole out and you just get them to back over the pole and forward over the pole. So they learn to test what's behind them. And then and then you can set up little spots where they back down over a pole and they've got to put their foot down. And then you can have like a little ramp up to the pole if you could make that. You know, so you'd find a little ramp with a little tiny step that they learned that, that the ground is not even and they, and they got to gently put their foot down. But before you take them off a ramp, uh, sorry, off a step down, you've got to teach them to be able to place their feet when they're uncertain. So just be able to gently put it down. And it's that gentle putting down that's super important. But as I say, because she's a pacer and she's used to pushing a cart, her feet go out the back a long way when she reaches for a backup and also when she goes forward. So forwards back forwards back without a lot of emphasis on long backups will help her just start to loosen the hind quarter and get the hind feet loose and just step a little bit and as i say step over a pole that sort of thing and that exercise just helps and then find little little drop-offs and back down hills a little bit whether you know the the hill is kind of going down so she's got to you know reach down a bit further and that'll just give her more confidence um also when she steps in uh you know, when and everyone with a step up float, a lot of horses go step, step, and they just step straight in and they avoid that little bit of a ramp, almost like it's a gully that they want to jump. Make sure they don't avoid it. Make sure that you've stepped them quietly and they just don't get it over the rib cage and just jump in from the back. I, w I would like them to take, you know, you see some horses hop up and if they hop up with the back feet quickly, they're avoiding it. I would like them to walk in by stepping up one, stepping up the other. Otherwise, they're not going to hop out. They're not going to back out nice. They're just going to want to hop jump out so um do all that to teach her so she can back off might happen straight away but might not happen straight away but it'll get better and in the hopping up don't let her hop up that's so important get her to step up one step at a time so she can start to rate that step with the back feet as she's stepping in not avoid it by the hop up so that's super important too the other thing is um if she's a bit big to turn around in that tight space like she feels she is Something I do is I put a breaching rope on a horse and I turn them around tight with a breaching pressure on them just so they tuck their feet in a little bit and turn tight, not just spin out with the back end going out a mile. It's something you can work her, but work her a little bit forwards and backwards in a breaching rope around a back end, like around a rump. And, and then as you do a tight turn, you put a bit of breaching pressure on her and pull her around a little bit. And so she tucks in a little bit and learns that 
when she turns this, there can be boundaries there without panicking and that'll help them turn around in a tight space. So, so then when you do teach her to be really soft in the breaching rope, you take her up into the float with the breaching rope on and you turn her around and gently remind her about the breaching rope and the pressure because some horses, when they feel that wall hit their back end and they feel like they're in a tight space, they want to throw the front out over the top of us and get out. So that breaching pressure is super important if you want to start to teach her to roll around really nice in that tight space. Um, you know, the long reining lessons that you've seen me do where I put horses in long reins and I do a turn and I'm backing them so their hind feet are really tucked a bit because they know that there's a breaching rope there and they've got to work in between those boundaries. All those backing up circle, long reining lessons and everything like that, so good for teaching horses to work in small spaces and, and that helps the horses that are going to turn around to walk out softly. But you've got to have them soft so when they go off the ramp, if you're going to teach them to go off front ways when they come out, to just step down softly and still do the same one step at a time treatment so they don't avoid any part of it. I'm going to read the next question for you. It's from Patrick. He's over in the States. This is what he says. I've been with you for several years and I think you're awesome. By the way, I'm 77 years old and I've shed a lot of baggage. Before you, my personal accomplishment was learning how to train a reiner. Now I realize how mechanical I've become. Thanks for guiding me through this part of my journey. You are the best, my friend. Patrick's question is, would you say that by using your method, Mark, it would be highly unlikely that you could produce a high level reining horse? Patrick's been wondering about this for a long time and he's curious about it because he can see that the horses that he's come across that are with reining and obviously he said he's trained his own. They are highly mechanical, as are the training methods. What were your thoughts on this one? Um, well, I can't say yes because I've never done it, I guess, to train to a competitive level to win a big reining competition. So um, so I would hate to say yes and then people go, oh, yeah, but you've never done it because to me, to prove something, you have mm. to have done it. But... Um, I get a lot of reining horses come to clinics and I can sort of feel the way they've been trained and, and the brace that they've got in them and they can still do fast spins, yet they're not very versatile. And some of the things that I've done to fix those horses has got them to work better, softer, and actually become more mobile again. So I believe that um, uh, there are better techniques to make softer more happy, more versatile reining horses that have still got a soft mind. And whether they're going to be impressed the judges by having the sort of lightning spin that's so fast that, you know, um, but if you look at two things in reining, which I see a lot, um, uh, and I don't know, there might be some reiners out there listening to this and they might agree or disagree, but um, I've seen a lot of reining horses that can do a really fast spin. They go around like really, really fast till you almost got to throw up off the side. You say fast and they do a really long, big sliding stop. You know, that's the highlight. Everyone get, everyone claps and cheers when there's the big sliding stops. But if you look at their turnarounds, their rollbacks or their haunch turns, which they do more of a rollback, they're very dinky and then they're, they're not, I don't see them as super athletic and super mobile in the sense of I've got to really turn and get a beast. It's sort of, it's almost a bit, um slow motion so um i guess 
a versatile horse should be able to do a bit of everything. And I believe the rein work that I do in horses teaches them to be well balanced, to be very versatile, to, to, to be able to go out, cope with obstacles, cope with cattle, cope with dressage and, and not, you know, not the same horse doing everything, but, but it sort of integrates with everything we're doing with our horses and still get a nice spin on a horse and a nice stop. Uh, all those sorts of things that a reiner wants. I don't know enough because I haven't researched the whole, you know, lifetime of reining right back from day dot to now. But what I see happening in dressage, in reining and, and everything is a lot of bending, bending, bending and a lot of spurring. So it's almost like that's the fashion. Let's bend them right up and spur them. So a, a bit of a joke that I say to people is reining is called reining, but it looks like bending and legging to me. It's not reining anymore. So when someone comes to me for help with the reins, I work on the reins until the horse is balanced in the reins and I mightn't even touch them with legs. But what I see in a lot of competition now, and, and, and since we're talking about reining, I see in reining is that we bend a horse and we move it over off the leg. And a lot of the horses I see in reining are conditioned to do a cue. So when the cue spin, the spin cue comes, they're cued to spin and then they stop on the cue. Um, and everything's a bit cuey look. It's not like they're following the feel of the rain and trying to stay in balance with the rain. It's just very cue based. So uh, I, I, when I get a raining horse, like there was a, a clinic a while ago, I had a little cutting horse, a little raining horse. The raining horse didn't breathe. Uh, so the cutting horse didn't breathe in the backup. So when it backed up, I'd just take more rain to get it in balance in the backup, lift its with it to get a bit more soft. And so it was using its whole body. It had just run back faster and it could do the fastest backup in, in, you know, in that clinic. Uh, but it couldn't breathe while it backed up. It was so braced and so frightened. It just ran backwards. The reining horse did a fast spin, but every time I put it in a spin, it couldn't breathe. It wasn't breathing. Um, it was just tightening up and spinning. And every time I said, just take a soft step and breathe and look into that turn, it would just go spin and stop breathing. So, I believe you could make a really soft, uh, connected reining horse using my techniques. I don't know, unless I've done it to the highest of speed level that they want and the longest of slide stop levels, if you'd impress some of the judges out there. But like dressage, um, if you get a soft horse in front of a judge, sometimes nowadays it doesn't beat the horse with the real big movements and some question that that horse with the big movements is not soft and collected and in the old scale of dressage um uh, the old the old not the old scale but the if you look back in the rule books they they have to be connected and and collections of softness not just some pizzazzy movement so so basically i think that um uh if the judges were judging a soft um mobile correct horse then then you'd have a chance of getting to the top um and fixing a lot of broken performance horses, I know that these techniques help them get into a far better emotional place. So, so I won't go back. I rode the other way. I bent horses. I put my legs on them. Did all that stuff, and I know what I I know what I was getting out of it. And now I do this. I'm so happy I'm doing it because the horses respond so much better. Even the broken horses come back so much quicker um, to to these sort of things. So. Uh, and just a quick story, just to sort of the the lady that had the cutting horse at this clinic, um, she was she I I thought oh she 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 had two little Western horses jump off the truck, and I thought oh she's she's probably going to leave at lunchtime or something. I was a bit worried, 
she stayed for the whole clinch. She loved it because she, she just, just wanted the best for her horses and she really saw the amount of effort we put into the little cutting horse, getting him to sort of, you know, breathe and be soft and start to look around and, and just be happy in, in himself when he does his movements and stuff. Um, and she said, you know what, there's a cutting trainer that, that she works with and he's, he's, a, he's up in the sort of the elite, I guess, in Australia in in the cutting and he she said many many years ago he went over to america and this is a story that was passed to me so 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 i'm not going to talk names or anything it's just the story that she passed on to me and it's many many years ago he went to do his stint in america you know where where an australian goes over because there's a lot of cutting and raining and stuff over there and to do to do some work with another trainers and stuff and she said she worked for this fellow who trained raining horses for the show pen and uh and he went and he showed his horses and she said, he said, well, this is the cutting trainer said, he never wore spurs and he never got angry, but he won a lot of competitions. And he said, I came back to Australia and, I, and he said, but it just didn't work for me. And I'm like, I, I, I should have followed that up and found out who it was because I thought, I reckon he would have been one of those traditional rainers who know the art of raining and rains and using a rain to get a horse correct. But now I think Spurs have taken over in in just compensating for the the shortfalls of the rain. So people are just getting the horses all bent up and using the Spurs to do the rest. And um, and I understand that style of riding because I tried it for a while. And as I said, it wasn't for me because I couldn't get every type of horse to go. I really feel good about this, and I'm I'm really sort of breathing and balanced and and alive in my my, my work. So if we took the Spurs off, everyone then they would have to make more of a mental connection with their horses. The horses would have to be understanding the reins more. Is that right? Well, well, yeah. So, so what my, what I learned, I, I, I started a lot, you know, well, well as anyone, Jenny, I started a lot of horses and everyone I rode in Spurs and, and it was, and, and I was not happy after a while because I wanted something more. And what I wanted was this most sensitive horse to not be angry on certain movements and stuff like that and just soften and accept it and, um, and it was after I think I read some of Ross's um, stuff and met Ross at one of my clinics over 10 years ago, probably 10 years ago or so now, uh, he talked about separating the things. And then I heard an old dressage fella talk about separating things, you know, reins without legs and legs without reins. And, and it got me thinking one day, I went, you know what, I'm just going to ride without legs and learn. And I was riding lots of young horses. So I just rode more with the reins and didn't, you know, started to get them to move their body with the reins instead of putting leg on all the time. And I felt like giving myself a slap in the face for saying, how did I miss that? I was accelerating a movement the horse wasn't even comfortable in in the rain. So what I realised is I was breaking the horses, you know, they were, they, were, they were bending from the wither forward, but I never had that rain back into the hind feet or anything. So, um and and that's what I'm seeing a lot in a lot of reining horses now is just they're broken from the wither forward bending, but the legs, your your legs and spurs do everything else. Um, and I don't think they're actually balanced and following the feel of the rein. They're just following the cue of the next thing that they have to do. And uh, so, so yeah, I think uh, if you took everyone, cut, you know, if you, if you cut the, if you said take the spurs off, because what I've realised now is, to train in that flexy, flexy way, the real flexy way that I see a lot where the horses are just, no, they're not flexible actually. They're more flexy just from the wither forward, but everything else could be jammed up. And that's what I'm finding a lot. The horses that still don't breathe, they've still got a massive brace in the base of the neck. They're not relaxed in their esophagus and they're breathing. 
So the, 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 but they're super bending in the neck, like, like they're really soft in the neck and head and they bend everywhere and they give you lightness in your hand, but the whole horse is not soft. Um, but if I, if I was training horses with a lot of bendy, bendy that way, you have to ride in spurs to not ride in spurs and just use a bare leg to, to influence horses better. Uh, you have to use the reins differently. That was the core. That was the key thing that I learned was if I'm not using a leg, the reins have to really inf influence that horse's thought and desire, which means it has to influence every part of its body. And that was the game changer. And now you can get so much more life with my legs because I'm not wasting my legs for everything because the reins are doing their job, the job that they were supposed to do, which was steer the horse and offer the horse direction. And direction doesn't just come with a bend, it comes with a movement. Um, and once you can create direction and movement in a horse and, and, and that soft thought change, then legs are just there to say, maybe go faster. I need a burnout here. I want to spin those back wheels and stuff like that. But when I was using my legs to influence direction as, as well as impulsion too early on horses, I was wearing them out cause I was using them all the time. So, but when you're riding spurs, it doesn't matter cause you can just push harder. And, and the horses go, okay. So, yeah, I think we'd level the playing field out if we took the spurs off everyone. And you raised a really good point before too about um, horses should be, you know, could be judged on the softness. I've um, mentioned that to one of the uh, the big horse events that happens every year or every couple of years in Australia. And I've, I've raised it with them. What, it would be so good to have a competition where, horses are judged on the softness or you know how how much progress they can make in softness rather than all the other things that seem to be judged that cause all this big detriment to to horses generally but uh it didn't go down very well so um if anyone's like-minded like me and would like to see this kind of these sorts of competitions come out there raise your voices i think people need to be out there readdressing what we're looking at that's just my thoughts <laughs> for it Sorry, I, I totally agree there's like the next competition that we're seeing a lot all around the world, and it's not just Australia, is you see these uh, young horse cult starting competitions everywhere, young horse starting competitions yeah. where they're, they're putting young horses to compete. And, and, and I always say com competitions for a horse that's, that's been trained for competition and ready for it. But when you turn a young horse competition, uh, like, you know, starting competitions out there, um, the most, the horses that tend to win are the ones that usually do the most obstacles not necessarily the ones that feel better and and like you said it's 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 maybe the competitions like that should be let's see who can progress a horse into feeling good and and not make it a competition on who does the most tricks but who who can get the horse feeling good about what it's doing um you know but then it'd be very hard to judge so because <laughs> it's like oh you know i can oh, sit and relax I, with my I horse think you'd be more than I capable lead a horse if you yeah, so so yeah, it'd be interesting, yeah. but just to get like it'd be nice just to see a bunch of sort of nervous horses come in a yard and just a few trainers go. Let's see if we can get these horses just to cope with some basics we want them to feel good about, and 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 get judged on, on on the feeling they put into the horses, not necessarily how many things the horses do with worry. That's right. Yeah, that would be so good, and I think you'd be very well placed, Mark, to to do that judging or, you know, to have a panel of um, trainers that just see, see things in a certain way, which just helps everyone else out there to also, um, you know, take on board that, that sort of perspective. 
All right, we'll leave it there. That's enough of our thoughts for the day. But um, thanks so much for all of those questions that have come through. Um, it's great to have them. And thank you for your time, Mark. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to Australia's very own Mark Langley, a horseman with many insights from his decades of dabbling. Jump online to keep learning. marklangley.com.au